Hi there, this is Jim, the Keys Bartender, coming to you from Key Largo. If you're not familiar with the Keys Bartender podcast, we are a podcast about Keys life and bartending, bartending and Keys life, whatever order you want to take it in. Today, it's a beautiful day. God, it's getting, it's always, I guess it's where a lot of places that um, it feels as if we're in the middle of summer already and it's not, we're not even out of April. But the dew point is 72 degrees. I have no goddamn idea what the dew point is. I shouldn't have said that. I don't know why. I guess once a bullshitter, always a bullshitter. And speaking of bullshitting, or I guess I'm describing myself, I wanted to talk about atmosphere, vibe, ambiance. Call it what you will. Your place, your house, your place of work, um, your circle—I mean, where you hang hang out. Particularly, what we're going to talk about at bars has a vibe or an atmosphere, and it's hard if you're once you're in it, if you're one of the regulars, to really look at it, and you have to really examine it when you're thinking about how how it is. But I've been to the depths of the shittiest shitholes, to the height of elegance. There are some really nice martini bars, fine restaurants all around, you know. And there's some shitholes that are very welcoming and elegant places that are very cold. So they may have an elegant ambiance or it may be dirty. But for me, the important thing is whether it's welcoming. You know, when I say shithole, I don't mean to say you, you're not going to get MRSA when you touch the doorknob when you walk in. Or the handle, actually. Most places don't have doorknobs anymore. It's mostly handles. But um, that, that's, that's the thing you really, that's what people remember. That's the lasting impression you have of a bar, of a bar in particular. Now, a restaurant, you got to throw in food quality, service, and, you know, obviously the decor and all that stuff. So, in a restaurant, you don't want it too much, you don't want to be too much of a shithole restaurant. You could be a family rustic restaurant or something like that, but yeah, you don't want to be. But in a bar, you can be a shithole, especially when you're serving beers and stuff like that, and you're, you make sure your glasses are somewhat clean. That's the critical. If you have clean glasses, clean mixers, clean ice, you know, you don't have insects in your, uh, you know, little fruit flies floating in your liquor bottles. You're, you'll be okay. And then you can concentrate on the things we're about to talk about. Now, <clears throat> I'll juxtapose two places that were similar in their environment, but were dissimilar in their total ambiance. And you can read into what you like, but years ago, and they weren't within, they were about... 10 years separated, I think, uh, these occurrences. But I went into two separate gay bars by accident. And yes, it was by accident. I was in downtown Philly. I think it was either Washington Square or Rittenhouse Square. I'm not exactly sure. But there was a restaurant and it had like a Western theme, maybe the Cowboy Bar was called or something like that. It was a hot day. I was dropping off resumes at restaurants I want, you know, for bartending. And I was going to go in there, look at it, and then ask for a, uh, 
a resume. But this one, I didn't, I don't think I walked in because I walked in, it was kind of quiet and all that stuff. And I noticed it was, there were some, maybe five or six guys sitting on the other side of the bar. I sit on the opposite side and I'm looking around. And as I peruse the place, oh, it's nice, but it's dark. My eyes are getting just as it was bright, sunny day outside, middle of summer. It was maybe one, two o'clock. And I order a beer. And as I drink the beer, I'm looking around. I noticed actually somebody that worked at a company that I had worked at. But I'm thinking, what the hell is this guy doing down here? Because uh, he, the company was up in northeast Philly, and this place was about eight miles south. <clears throat> but I didn't take any notice of it. And then I look behind him, and there's a mural, a big mural. And it's kind of like a Samson guy pushing the pillars apart. And he had the long hair, he had muscles and all that stuff, but he was also wearing jeans. And the jeans were slightly pulled off, and he was in chains and jeans, and the jeans were kind of sliding down his hips, uh, or partially slid down his hips. So you started seeing, I don't know if we saw, I didn't, what I did see was I realized, oh, well, that's the kind of mural you'd see in a bar. That's gay. Now, I was in my early 20s at that time. And in my early 20s, I was prone to homosexual panic. And, you know, not wanting to be seen in a place, drinking and stuff like that. So I um, quickly drank my beer and dropped money for it. Back then, I think it was like the beer was only $2 in downtown Philly, which was pretty good at the time. And left the five and... and Blew out of there, and no pun intended there. But as I was leaving, I thought, boy, that was a, that was a weird vibe in it. But um, it was kind of cold. It wasn't welcoming. And I didn't know really what to fit, feel about it. I never really gave it a chance, but no one said hello to me, and that's fine. And I guess they thought, <clears throat> here's a guy that's not sure where he is. And after I walked out, I thought, wow. You know, I don't even think today, I didn't even think about that at the time. What am I saying? Now, in retrospect, I go, maybe it should have been a picture of a guy in, like, chaps and nothing else, you know? Assless chaps and kind of turned around smiling, you know, with a cowboy hat on. But, yeah, you went with the Samson motif, which I really didn't understand. Now, another time, I'm going to visit my brother's uh, family and my sister and they were living outside of Baltimore and I took the train down because we were going to do some drinking that weekend with some parties going on. So my brother who worked at the, uh, his office was about five miles from the center of the town in Baltimore. He uh, was going to pick me up. So I walked a couple blocks from the train station, came down Philadelphia to Baltimore by train and I was hanging out in the bar. I had my bag with me and stuff like that. Light. I traveled light. So I think it was a backpack, maybe. And um, I'm, I'm looking around. And yeah, it, was, it ended up being a gay bar near, I know, near a train station, which I guess if you looked at, after seeing a bunch of 1960s and 50s movies before, you know, they were open about it, uh, that's where they put the bars, I guess, near train stations and bus stations. So this was an older bar, and I didn't realize it was gay until I was looking at. I saw, I saw a little 
uh, cork board. And the cork board had pictures of their uh, recent or the past year's Halloween party. And I kn- I'm looking at it and I say, oh, these rather ornate costumes these people were wearing. Oh, and it's mainly guys. And it was in the middle of the day. There was only five or six people there. But it was, uh, it was a gay bar. It turned out being a gay bar. And I walked up and I asked the guy and I said, you know what? I was a little older. It's about 10 years later. So I didn't have that problem. I realized being in a gay bar doesn't make me gay. And I just went in there and said, oh, yeah, I'm just waiting for my brother to come and pick me up. I'm going to have a couple couple of drinks. And I stayed and had a couple uh, drinks. And it was light, airy, um, similar motif. Like, no, they didn't have a mural on there and stuff like that. But it was a nice older bar. Uh, I had a, a couple. I had drinks. I was drinking probably bourbon then or something like that. And maybe a beer because I had that drinking problem. But it was welcoming. And it was open. It was light. And it was nice. And there were two similar motif bars, and they had totally different vibes to it. And I'm not talking about a gay vibe and a straight vibe, because I've been to clubs and stuff like that. And there's some clubs I liked, some clubs I didn't like. Some, um, in, and you know, I grew up in Philadelphia, but I've been in clubs all over. But most of the clubs I went to, let's say on a regular basis, was in Philadelphia, and that, that's I can judge those because it's the same type of people, or actually not the same type of people in the bar, but they're from the region. Now, when I go to bars outside the country or in different states, unless I'm more familiar with it, like I'm more familiar with the ones down here in the Keys, I can tell what some good vibes are and some bad vibes are. You go into a regular place, and it's full of regulars, a regular place, that's, you know what I mean? Where it's just a local bar. They can be quite hostile. They don't like to see strangers. I remember uh, one of my local places was called the Sea Lion Tavern in Philadelphia. It was the end of the line before you got into this. Uh, you took this one bus that went, it's called the 66. And it used to be a trackless trolley. And then it um, went from being a trolley to a bus. But it went up one of these main roads in northeast Philadelphia, right up to the Philadelphia-Bucks County line, and right on the line, this one called the City Line Tavern, hence the name. And there were regulars in there, but every so often, you'd get different people. You'd think there'd be more often, it was the end of the line, you'd think you'd have people coming off the bus all the time, but not so in the northeast. It wasn't like you were downtown. And I have to say, that bar was definitely had a regular's vibe. Just as McGeehan's did. You didn't see uh, McGeehan's. You heard about McGeehan's. It was my regular haunt in Philadelphia. That was a locals one. It was a fun vibe. You went in there. You know, it was uh, cops and firemen, people from the neighborhood. You have a good time. You never really have to worry about anything when you're in there. You can keep your back to the door. You know, it was a tiny place. It was always kind of busy. Rarely was it empty. And, or a place downtown like McGlinchey's was kind of like a neighborhood bar, but also had a big welcoming vibe, vibe to it, where it was because it was downtown and people would go into it. I've been in other bars where you go in and it would just be, the, the staff was kind of unwelcoming. The people at the bar were not friendly. And... They, they were packed. I didn't understand it. I'd say, well, how could you have this such a... I went into a place and say, seemed so unhappy. 
And it seemed like it was full of hostility. And I go, man, it was, you can cut the hostility with a knife. And then you go to the next bar, right? You know, this is Philadelphia. So there was always another bar. There was actually three bars within, uh, and there's a lot of places like that where they'd be right in a row. Just like kind of like Wisconsin. You'd imagine Wisconsin is. They got, if you go to one of their cities, Milwaukee and stuff, with a bar, 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 bar. Yeah, in Philadelphia, you could go within a two-block area and it would be like 12 bars. And each have their different vibe. And then depending on the neighborhood you go to, you know, you could throw a couple. You could throw as many plants, play as much, you know, classical jazz music. But if you don't have the right kind of staff... And the right kind of people, it can really throw off your your feeling. Or when you come in, the people come in there and feel welcome, and they get feel quiet and they look around. I've seen that in the place I work, the Catch, we're a tourist town, but have a considerable regular crowd, and our regulars are pretty friendly. You guys, sometimes you got to ask. You know, I, I try to steer the conversation away from when they're talking about tourists. Because I have tourists at the bar. And I don't want them to feel that we're unwelcoming to them. That we cause a decision. When anybody talks about bad driving, and they say tourist and driving slow and st- stuff like that, I said, listen to the people. I said, I'll straighten them out. I'll say, There's, I've seen plenty of people that live down here drive badly. Tons of bad driving by the locals. And because in season, there's so many other people on the road, we may overemphasize their bad driving. But that's not necessarily the case. It's just that when you have hyper-crowded roads, and I go on to my explanation and stuff like that, so don't pick on the tourist. And places, and I would go to regulars, if you want us to be open, if you like this place, you won't chase out the tourists. You'd be welcoming to them. So when they ask for suggestions on where they like to go, where's another place? I always suggest places. I I always felt I took um, I took a lesson from what was the um, movie? It was Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. And in Miracle on 34th Street, this is to create an ambiance of trust and likability with tourists. But in Miracle 34th Street, they had this old guy playing Santa. He had to replace the drunk Santa for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade because he was totally intoxicated. And they ended up hiring him as the department store Santa during the Christmas season. And during one particular meeting, he suggested... uh, a young girl asked for a toy or a boy asked for a toy and they didn't have it here at Macy's. And he says, well, and he gives uh, another recommendation to another department store that has the toy that he wants. And the mother went up to him and says, are you crazy? I can't find it. And she, he tells him, he tells the mother the story, uh, where to go, the store to go. And she goes, Wow. That's amazing. And she runs up to the manager and says, I'd like to say Macy's has a great Christmas spirit because they reckon, even though you didn't have the toy, you suggested this other store. And that is what the Christmas spirit is about. I don't think it's necessarily what Christmas spirit is about, recommending people to go and buy a toy for a kid that you can't get 
it's hard to get, but you know, that's neither here nor there. So they adopted the um, policy. If they didn't carry it, they would go and say, well, it's at, at Gimbel's or Sears or wherever that was. So when people come in to tourists coming to our restaurant and say, well, we have entertainment here. We have a friendly place here, but there's other places too. If you like to be on the water, there's here and there, the Big Chill, there's Snooks, there's Bayside, um, Bayside Grill, and there's Gilbert's. I'm telling them all those different places, Blackwater Siren. And again, the, I, I tell them the different ones. And I say, you know, if you go to, um, let's say you go up to uh, Gilbert's and you have a big Miami vibe up there because that's where they, it's right at the end of the stretch before you get into Key Largo. A lot of people come down on the weekends and it'll be big Miami crowd. There's nothing wrong with that. People have it, you know, more, more like that uh, Latin level of excitement and entertainment and stuff like that, which is great. And then you have like Blackwater Siren, which where they may have more guitar music and it's more locals and things like that. And you got our bar, like I said. We have our locals and they come in and they appreciate it because you're regular. It inspires trust and makes them feel secure down here that the people are looking out for them. And that's the vibe we want to give and say, listen, if you like this, you go this. If you like seafood, you may want to check out this place. You may want to check out the fish house or the fisheries and stuff like that. We have great seafood, but, you know, people don't eat the same place when they're in town. Every so often, though, we'll win people. But they'll go to one place having a bad experience, come to our place, have a great experience, come in twice, have a great experience, and they'll decide to stay. So there's, there's a way to encourage it. And what I try to do is, like, try to stay away from the negativity. If someone gets a little aggressive you got to tell them to back it off. You don't need any aggression in your place unless that's what you're looking for. There was a restaurant called Dick's, and uh, I don't know if it's still around. And, you know, kind of like the name of the sporting good place. But at this restaurant, there were just the, the servers, the bartenders, maybe even the hostess. I never went there. I never had it felt a need to go to a place where people would treat you like shit. Because I am from Philadelphia, so you might think that we're used to it, but I am not used to that. So I actually don't want to pay someone to treat me like shit. Though I do have friends that pretend to treat me like shit. So I did tell you about the two gay bars, but there's some places when you say about uh, atmosphere and stuff like that. There was one, particularly my best Christmas one, I took a girl on a date during Christmas and it was this place in Newtown, Pennsylvania. It's where they filmed the movie. It was some M. Night movie um, with Mel Gibson. It's about the aliens. I forgot the name of it. And Joaquin Phoenix was in it. And, uh, well, this brick hotel. It was, I guess, it may have been built in the mid-1800s. But they had this old bar, this beautiful fine restaurant. And they had uh, a jazz three-piece band there. It was on a Friday, Saturday night, and it just was, felt warmth. There was a, I felt, I, I think there was a fireplace there. Uh, their menu was more American traditional. 
And it just had this warm vibe. And then there was this place in, in Zakopane that's in Poland, the mountains of Poland. And it was just a tiny, tiny little bar that was made with, uh, that had swings for seats, these long wooden planks that were attached to the ceiling by rope. And they would swing a little. And I thought, boy, they were trusting in the people in that bar. And I went in there and a very friendly bartender. It was a good place. And there's shore bars and all that stuff. I'm not going to talk about the bad ones anymore. But, you know, you don't want to emulate the bad bars. There's things you can do about it. You know, keep your place clean. Make sure your employees are welcoming. Make sure the regulars aren't hostile or mean. You know, sometimes you have to get, you know, it's not cute when people are cantankerous and mean. We had a guy pass away a couple of years ago. And he was so cantankerous and stuff like that. And he would come in and say, who's parked here? Well, who's the asshole that's parked out there? He was in his 80s. And I just say, hey, listen, just come and see me first. If you don't like the way to park, and I'll ask them if they can move the car and stuff like that instead of calling them an asshole. If they're parked in a handicapped space. That's, you know, it was one of those, you know, every so often he saw this jacked up truck and he saw it in a handicapped space and he just expected, what the fuck are you doing with it? that kind of truck in a handicapped space. But it's incumbent on, on, if you're running a business or if you're looking for tips and you want to let people in, you can change the vibe really easy. Keep your place. I mean, keep the topical things where you keep it clean and uncluttered. That's great and friendly. And there's all sorts of things you can do to change the vibe up. And it's your attitude, your attitude yourself. You change that, you could change, it's like changes everything. Boy, I almost spoke 22 minutes on that. I can't believe that. Also, when I wanted to change uh, this, when you're talking to a family member or a friend, and I noticed over the years, in the last 20 years, that people, last 20 years, been really starkly different in the last 10 years. Uh, people have gotten very different worldviews. And I always thought with the spread of the internet, meaning more people having access to uh, the internet, that people would become more knowledgeable. And as it turns out, there's a spread of information and all different types of information. There's factual information, and there's counterfactual information. And the hard time, it's really, it's really hard to really decipher what is correct. And a lot of times people assume the worst when they get information. They'll say this, this information is skewed or they're not, they don't have the, the incorrect information. Or someone will posit some kind of theory and people accept it as hard and fast and true. And it makes it more difficult to talk to people when it, when you're working from two different, let's say, dictionaries, where you may have both be saying the word, the same word, but each, the word may have two different dif- definitions. So how are you going to agree on everything if you can't agree on the facts? 
And you're going to say, let's agree to disagree. If you don't listen to the person and they don't listen to you, I have a tendency when I talk to my uh, my sister and half, she'll she and I both run on. We over we talk over each other. She she's uh, has a different view of the world than I do, and she gets her information from different sources than I do. And some people, I'm imagining, most people that. Um, I go through these same things. Now, if you're open to different sources of information and you're open to different people's opinions and you can weigh them kind of somewhat, you know, if you can attempt to be objective, then I'd say maybe most people are like that, where they can be objective. But some people like to slot things when they hear something I go, where did you get that information from? Cite your sources. Who's saying that? Is that from the Petroleum Institute? Is that, you know, and my, there's all different bad actors out there. And on some sides that people say, they'll say George Soros, they'll say Fox News, One American News, CNN, blah, 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 BBC. And they say, well, my source of information, that's the one. And they're stifling free speech. And you're not... You're not listening to this. And I said, well, I can listen to it, but it doesn't sound credible. You know? And they say, who are, the, who are the, the science people that back this up if you have something scientific? Or who are the economists that back this up? Or what are the indicators that say this stuff to you? And you think, you, you start faulting people for their information, and then you start faulting them for the logic and then you start faulting them for their intentions. And pretty soon you're going down a road and you're deciding that the person's not, doesn't have good intentions. They have har- harmful intentions. Well, how about we start from the point that you want the best result and you're looking for the um, best result for the most amount of people and the reduced amount of harm? total harm if you're talking about how to clean up uh, you know make America safer you can start with you know an idea and say why is it not safe is it too violent are there too many gun deaths are there too many knife deaths if the guns are the guns really not uh, causing the deaths what you need to result from the guns is maybe have more guns you know that, that may be your theory, but you also have to listen to the, the theory say, you know, when someone says, the more guns you have, the safer you are. And there people would say on the opposite side, there are societies that have less guns and they have less um, violent or violent deaths. And people say, well, you can kill someone with a knife. You can kill someone with that. And there's always a counter argument, but you just listen to them and say, what are the numbers? What are the per capita one? Who, what, what are the crimes? They say, well, they're under-reporting this or they're over-reporting this. So if you, there's all sorts of time, times when you make your, if you're making an argument, people will dispute your facts because of where you get your facts from. Or sometimes they'll just, Ignore the facts if they if it doesn't suit their argument. 
I've been known to do that. If something if something hasn't doesn't fit in my worldview, sometimes I've ignored it. And that's called um almost I mentioned in previous episodes called confirmation bias. When you choose the facts that support your argument. But if you listen to everything and you try to balance it and say, listen, I'll listen to what you have to say. I understand this. I understand that. This is from my experience, and these are the facts that I'm following. And if you can get people to say, well, you know, once you agree on the facts, then you have to agree on analysis of the facts. You know, it could be a fact and say, listen, five-year-olds that are given a martini are four times more likely to ask for a second one. No, are four times more likely to become alcoholics. You know, that, that, and people say, who did that study? That must be really fucked up. You're giving a five-year-old a martini? No, no, no. I'm just using it as an example. And someone may look at it and says, well, you listen, you're just screwing up the, you know, then you, you open another can of worms and say, well, listen, that's because you gave it to them too young. If they're an alcoholic, they're an alcoholic. Uh, some people argue they'll be an alcoholic if you don't give them a drink. It's only when they decide to start drinking. Right? There's all different ways to split that hair, that hair of truth. But, you know, we're going to have to come to an agreement eventually. Or we don't have to come to agreement and get nothing done. That's the thing. You can just say, hey, listen, we, let's say one thing. We want to educate our children. We think it's very important that we educate our children. We want to make sure that they know how to read. We want them to know that they can do math. They want to know about science. And then you say, well, how about history? I say, what history? <laughs> that, that's when people start getting, and they, they start restricting history. And they say, well, we don't want to hear that history. We don't want anything that embarrasses our child or embarrasses the group they belong to. And... That's a sad thing when people say knowledge is something that has to be withheld, that you don't want to necessarily teach someone the truth about something because it might embarrass you. There's plenty of things that I've done in my life and I would not really want them broadcast, but it still goes into making who I am. And if you want to fully understand history or anything. You need to get all the background information. So we got to find some way, someday, to agree on the facts. Like agree on how, I mean, people can agree on some things. They can agree on what the speed of light is, how far the sun is away, what temperature water freezes at. It would be nice if they could find other things to agree on. Like cigarettes are bad for your health. And having a gun in your house, it makes it more likely that you'll have an accident with a gun. I mean, they, they are facts. And, they, and most people agree on them. It's one of those things. If you have a gun in your house, that you're more likely to be injured by a gun. Which that's statistically proven. It may make some of you angry. Don't, there's no reason to get angered by facts because facts are just facts. It's how you put that information to use. And sometimes, some of the people, if you're 
you love them and you're close to them and stuff like that, and you can't agree on the facts, don't have those discussions. That's the last answer on that. If you can't agree on the facts and you still want to have a relationship with someone, then that information and that discussion should be off limits. And you should not bring it up. And uh, that'll work. That'll work in parts and stuff like that. If you know you're, you have a, 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 a regular comes in and they say this stuff and say, you know, we don't agree on that. And he goes, well, I'm trying to persuade you. And I say, well, you got to persuade, persuade me with a cohesive argument. Okay, and we don't agree on the facts, and we don't agree on the on the worldview. But that doesn't mean you can't have a relationship with someone. Well, that's it for today. I'd like to thank you for listening. This is Jim the Keys bartending, bartender. I'm not bartending yet. I'll be bartending tonight at the catch. But thank you for listening, and have a great day. See you again. Bye.